It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, October 2nd. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. On the California Report, a look at LaFonza Butler, California's new senator who steps into Dianne Feinstein's former seat. Then, today's National Native News covers the response from indigenous groups to the recent New Mexico protest shooting. We've got details on the first reported human case of West Nile virus in Nevada County before your weather forecast. And Sid Brown from the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation joins us for a walk in the park. Keep it tuned to hear details on the first ever Bridgeport Bridge Harvest Dinner. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Longtime labor leader and Democratic strategist LaFonza Butler will be California's new U.S. Senator. News of Butler's appointment, confirmed by Governor Gavin Newsom's office Sunday night, comes days after the death of Dianne Feinstein, which left the Senate seat vacant. So, who is LaFonza Butler? KQED politics correspondent Guy Marzarati has more. Born in Magnolia, Mississippi, Butler told KQED in 2019 of her memories of her mother, who supported the family while caring for her ailing father. My life was really lived uh, through the eyes of a caregiver. Mm -hmm. My mother was my father's caregiver in the last years of his life, and um, having to understand what families every day go through when it comes to issues like health care. That experience proved to be the precursor to Butler's career in California. She led a union of in-home caregivers and later SCIU California, the largest umbrella union in the state. There she led the union's high-stakes negotiations with Governor Jerry Brown's administration to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. We all came into rooms of tension and disagreement and negotiation um, with Californians in mind and the best for Californians. From SCIU, Butler was tabbed by Kamala Harris to help run her 2020 presidential campaign. Now she's at EMILY's list, working to elect female candidates who support abortion rights. Butler will become the third black woman to serve in the U.S. Senate and California's first openly LGBT senator. But first, Butler will re-register to vote in California. She currently lives in Maryland. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. This week, seven California counties launch care courts. They're the new mental health courts required by the state that have the authority to mandate people with severe mental illnesses to receive treatment. The implementation of care court will be under particular scrutiny in San Francisco as the city wrestles with both a mental health and homelessness crisis. I talked about the reality of implementing care court there with San Francisco County Supervisor Rafael Mandelman. So, Supervisor, from what you know right now, is San Francisco's care court system ready for action? We're going to find out over the next few months. But I think there's still a lot to learn about how this program is going to work, how, what the relationship between the courts and our public health folks is going to be, and even questions like how many people are even going to be put through this program. Our Department of Public Health is estimating that potentially there could be between 1,000 and 2,000 people who could be eligible for this, but how many of those folks' petitions are filed for and how many of those folks we can actually serve is still to be determined. I know you're generally a supporter of Care Court with some reservations, but I'm not really hearing a confident, full-throated endorsement of it, at least as the program starts up. Not at all. At best, Care Court is likely to be 
a modest positive contribution to our behavioral health response. I do not think that it is going to be game-changing, but it may be helpful for some you know, for a population that is not the most severe, is not eligible for conservatorship, but is high needs and needs more help and is not necessarily going to voluntarily seek that help. You know, I think we may well be going back to the state legislature with suggested amendments. That was San Francisco Supervisor Rafael Mandelman. Along with San Francisco, care courts also start this week in Glen, Orange, Riverside, San Diego, Stanislaw, and Tuolumne counties. Eventually, every county in the state must have a care court system established. When presidential candidates travel to places like Iowa or New Hampshire, they usually spend time praising the state they're in. But that is not what Republicans making the pilgrimage to California are saying about the Golden State. KQED politics correspondent Marisa Lagos has this dispatch from this past weekend's state Republican convention in Orange County. Former President Donald Trump spent much of his Friday speech before state Republicans trashing California, painting it as a dystopic hellscape full of roving bands of looters, criminals, and thugs. The crowd of Californians ate it up. Together we will reverse the decline of America and we will end the desecration of your once great state, California. This is not a great state anymore. This is a dumping ground. You're a dumping ground. The world is being dumped into California. Prisoners, terrorists. Later that evening in a ballroom across the hallway, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis continued the California castigation, calling the state a petri dish for American liberalism. So the country, our country's in a state of decline, economic decline, cultural decline, military decline. The California model represents more American decline. The Florida model represents a way for us to reverse American decline. It represents a way to have an American revival. But California Republicans didn't seem offended. Rather, many of them agreed with the presidential candidates' assessments, saying it's what they've been arguing for years. Here's Board of Equalization member Ted Gaines. We've had a lot of problems in California, and California leads the nation. So, you know, if we're uh, setting policy in place uh, that in many cases is not working and that's spreading across the country, We've got a problem, and I think we ought to be fighting for the heart and soul of this nation right now. Denise Gary Pandel, who's running for U.S. Senate, rejected the notion altogether. I didn't hear the president speak about California in dark terms. She says Trump outlined positions on issues like water and human trafficking that impressed her. And that shows to me a love and a concern for the people of our state and our country. The only candidate who didn't frame California as an apocalyptic disaster? entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy. I think California's policies have been a disaster, just as I think the Biden administration has been a disaster. But I mentioned neither Biden nor California in that speech because, as I said, I am leading us to something. Politically, though, Trump's message is the one seemingly resonating with his base. Recent polls show him lapping his political opponents, leading the field by 40 points. For The California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos in Anaheim. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. StanfordMedicine.org. Paint Care. Now with more than 850 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at PaintCare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, 
advancing the frontiers of ocean science, exploration, and discovery on the web at schmidtocean.org. And that is the California Report for Monday, October 2nd. Happy October, everybody. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day. Today's National Native News looks at the response from Native groups to the recent New Mexico protest shooting. The demonstrator who was shot during a peaceful protest against the reinstallation of a Spanish conquistador statue is a Native American climate activist. Protest organizers are calling on officials to condemn violence toward indigenous groups in the wake of what they're calling a racially motivated hate crime. Details ahead. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Native groups and their allies are calling on officials to condemn violence against indigenous people and to keep a suspect charged with attempted murder locked up. The Red Nation, Three Sisters Collective, Kiva Club, Indian Collective, and their allies say last week's shooting at a prayerful event in New Mexico celebrating the halt of the placement of a Juan de Oñate statue was a racist attack. Witnesses say before the shooting, the suspect was seen antagonizing the crowd gathered at the Rio Arriba County Annex building in Española. Video recorded at the event, widely shared on social media shows, the suspect wearing a hoodie and a red Make America Great Again hat, scuffling with people at the gathering before pulling out a gun and shooting one person and pointing the gun at another before fleeing. Police identified the shooter as 23-year-old Ryan Martinez. He was arrested and charged with attempted murder in the first degree and aggravated assault, use of a deadly weapon. Martinez is due to appear in court Monday. Native groups and their allies are calling on officials to not release him and to recognize the shooting as a racially motivated hate crime. The person shot was identified as 42-year-old Jacob Johns. A GoFundMe set up for his medical bills says he's Hopi in Akmel Autumn and has dedicated his life to indigenous and climate justice. The statue was previously removed from a different location in 2020 and was said to be put up last week at its new location in front of the county building, but was postponed. Members of the Native groups fighting against the statue say Oñate was a brutal Spanish colonizer, and the statue represents violence and genocide. Canada's western province of Manitoba could make history. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, it could elect its first First Nations premier to lead the provincial government. Wab Canoe is the leader of the New Democratic Party of Manitoba. He was born in Ontario and lived on the Enigaming First Nation. His father was a survivor of the residential school system, and Canoe says he passed to Canoe the importance of Anishinaabe culture and language. During a recent televised debate, Canoe blasted the former premier of Manitoba for closing emergency rooms and breaking the health care system. I don't think too many of us understood how having to drive further was going to get you seen quicker. We have a plan to fix it. Let me be clear, this is going to be hard work. It has to start with staffing up the health care system. And then once the staffing is stabilized, two years from now, we put shovels into the ground to build a new ER starting in South Winnipeg. If elected, Canoe would become the first First Nations premier, but not the first indigenous premier. John Norquay, who was Métis, was Manitoba's fifth premier until 1887. Canoe says there are still historic barriers to overcome, the main reason few indigenous people enter provincial politics. Some analysts say if Canoe becomes premier, it would be significant because there are still dominant stereotypes that see indigenous people in a negative way. So it's important for other indigenous people to see that it's possible to succeed at the highest levels. Manitobans go to the polls on October the 3rd. 
For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. The memorial at Wounded Knee, one of the most prominent landmarks on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota, was recently vandalized. The memorial was placed in the early 1900s by Joseph Horncloud, a direct descendant of victims of the Wounded Knee Massacre. The damages were limited to the topmost piece of the monument structure. The site is under the management of Oglala Sioux Tribal Government, which has indicated plans to increase efforts to protect the memorial. Assistant U.S. Attorney Elliot Neal has been picked to represent missing or murdered indigenous persons for the Southwest region. The region includes New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, Nevada, and Arizona. He's one of five assistant U.S. attorneys who will provide support to U.S. attorneys' offices to address the issue. His background and experience includes working with tribes. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by AARP. AARP creates and connects people to unique tools and programs, helps conserve personal resources, and tackles issues that matter most to individuals, families, and communities. More at aarp.org. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at your local news. A case of West Nile virus has been identified in Nevada County. That's according to the county's public information officer, Lisa Renner. This marks the first human West Nile virus case for Nevada County since 2018. A press release says the patient is home and doing well. However, the Nevada County resident developed a fever and meningitis symptoms from the virus and was taken to an emergency room in early August. Lab tests later confirmed the cause to be West Nile virus, and the information was passed along to Nevada County Public Health. The person had not traveled internationally or had any domestic travel outside the local surrounding area. The virus has been documented in birds used in a West Nile virus surveillance program within the county this year, but no human cases had been reported until this patient. There have been 153 cases of West Nile virus in humans throughout California this year so far. Most people with West Nile virus don't have any symptoms, but one in five become sick with symptoms such as fevers, headaches, body aches, joint pains, and vomiting. About one in 150 people develop serious diseases such as meningitis and encephalitis, or long-term symptoms. If you develop symptoms of West Nile virus, seek medical care as soon as possible. Now let's take a look at your local forecast from the National Weather Service. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight mostly cloudy, then gradually clearing with a low of 52 degrees. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 75. Tuesday night will be clear with a low around 57 degrees. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 34 degrees. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 63. Tuesday night will be mostly clear with a low around 36 degrees and areas of freezing fog after 3 a.m. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly clear with a low around 56 degrees. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 83. 
Tuesday night will be clear with a low around 59 degrees. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Sierra Gold Parks Foundation board member Sid Brown is back with the latest on Western Nevada County's three state parks. Stay tuned to hear about the first-ever South Yuba River Harvest Dinner and more. Welcome to A Walk in the Park. So I love to talk about things that are happening at South Yuba River State Park, Malakoff Diggins, and Empire Mine. And today I'd like to lead with a pretty exciting event, which is a first-ever Harvest dinner at the newly reconstructed Bridgeport Bridge down at South Yuba River State Park. This is a special event, October 7th, Saturday from 5 to 8. And if anyone's interested in participating in this fundraiser, um, you can get all kinds of information both on UBANET and the Union, our Sierra Gold Parks Foundation website, and tickets are available through Eventbrite. This is an actual fundraiser, and the money that we raise will go to construction and support of activities at the parks, probably most likely to barn work. There's a a barn that is in need of some restoration work and all kinds of things. Deferred maintenance is an ongoing issue for our state parks, and we have many historic buildings that are just hungry for support and help. So we do our best to help out in a financial way, as well as through interpretive works. So that's the big news for Sierra Gold Parks Foundation. But there is big news out in nature, too. So I'm going to start with Malakoff, which is a real treasure. Um, If you haven't been there lately, and it's surprising to me how many local people maybe went in fourth grade and haven't been for decades. And I have many out-of-town visitors who come and always enjoy kind of stepping back in time and going to Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park and the town of North Bloomfield, which is basically a ghost town. Beautiful architecture and gorgeous fall color this time of year. Not only that, um, we have some special programming at Malakoff through the month of October. We have town tours on Saturdays for sure and other days when we have staff. The visitor center at Malakoff is is open every day now through October. The campground is open through October by reservation, but sometimes you can get a campsite if you walk in, if there's space available. Um, We have wonderful staff out at Malakoff. You know, it's off the grid, but we do have a solar array that supports the electricity and power needs of the staff and people that live out there and run the visitor center. And our staff is doing all kinds of wonderful things. They have been doing nature journaling, and we have a nature journaling class being led by our lovely Nicole, October 14th from 11 to 1. And she, Nicole, has been doing all kinds of great posts on Instagram and Facebook for the Malakoff Diggins Instagram and Facebook pages. Great information about natural history, um, historic and cultural buildings within the park, all kinds of fun-filled facts. 
So that's a really great program, and we also have a junior ranger program from 3 to 4 on Saturdays, again, through October. And with this early fall time, our park day-use fees have dropped to only $5 per vehicle. So that's just an amazing, amazing deal and a really beautiful park. So that's Malakoff Diggins. Great trails any time of year, and the park itself is open to visitor use and self-guided walks and tours from sunrise to sunset. And at South Yuba River State Park, the trails are open, they're cleared, our visitation is down as the temperatures are cooling, but there's still a lot of beautiful warm weather to enjoy along the river. Just last week, we had the um, South Yuba River Citizens League River cleanup, and it really was a watershed-wide activity. I got to be the site captain down at Bridgeport, and we had, oh, 60 to 80 people show up and do all kinds of wonderful, not only litter pickup, which I'm sorry that there was so much litter, but also some invasive species management with park staff. So South Yuba River at Bridgeport is looking very nice. We're still in fire season, so only fires in designated fire rings, such as at the campground at Malakoff or at the picnic areas in the grills at South Yuba. Oh, and great news at South Yuba is the visitor center is now going to be open on weekends starting in October. Unfortunately, we've not been able to staff that little visitor center and store for most of the summer. Um, It entirely has been dependent on volunteers. So now we are going to have park staff available for visitor services and contact, and hopefully more and more volunteers able to help out at the South Yuba River Bridgeport Visitor Center. And then finally, Empire Mine. We have garden tours on Wednesdays and Saturdays in the morning at 1010. We have mine yard tours at noon and estate tours at 11. And then just to save the date idea, holidays at the park at Empire Mine. Traditionally, this has been a one or two day affair. Um, usually Thanksgiving weekend, and this year it's going to, we're going to try a different thing, and it's going to be a one-day event on Saturday, December 2nd. But that's a ways out yet, so we've got lots of things going on beforehand. Please enjoy your nature, be mindful of your impact on the environment, and keep picking up that trash, and when you go on a hike, take an empty bag so you can make it cleaner than when you found it. Sid Brown sits on the board of the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation and joins us once a month with news and updates from Western Nevada County's three state parks. You can listen to the extended version of A Walk in the Park on our webpage, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's our newscast for Monday, October 2nd. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and the Nevada City Farmers Market, Saturdays, 8.30 a.m. to 1 p.m., Robinson Plaza and Union Street now through mid-December, featuring sustainably grown food from local farmers, crafts, artisanal offerings, also live music and EBT accepted. ncfarmersmarket.org.
and March One Music presents guitarist and bluegrass musician Billy Strings at Golden One Center on Wednesday, October 4th. Tickets and show information at billystrings.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonca. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.